Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary VTW, void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus okay round two name something that's not boring a laundry oh a book club computer solitaire huh ah oh, sorry we were looking for chumba casino that's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Kalon S Rugby Podcast. Today we kick off a busy week by looking at the URC and looking at the four Irish provinces in particular. We have a very special Heineken Champions Cup, sorry, Investec Champions Cup or EPCR Champions Cup program coming early in the week, probably tomorrow, Monday, or whenever you get to hear this, it could already be up, where we just sit down and look at the last 10 years of EPCR. We also have a preview to the 2023-2024 Investec Champions Cup season. But before all that, we're going to look back on block one of the URC going to look at the four Irish provinces who have all got off to strong starts all in the top eight as things stand after seven rounds for those of you on podcast form you can catch this on youtube over at the Kalon S rugby podcast we'll have a little bit of graphics just something to to keep an eye on for those on youtube if you want to listen to this on the go you can you can head off you can find the Kalon S rugby podcast on all good podcast platforms but we will start things off firstly by looking at oh apologies by looking at the league table where as we can see four Irish teams in the top eight Leinster lead the way with six wins out of seven and twenty nine points amassed so far. They're followed closely by Glasgow Warriors in second place. They're on twenty six and the Bulls are on twenty five points in third. Last year's winners Munster are in fourth place despite only four wins, which is less than the two teams behind them. But those four wins is enough for fourth spot. Fifth place sees Edinburgh. Sixth is Benetton. And seventh and eighth, rounding out the top eight so far, is Ulster and Connacht. Probably important to note, it could come up at the end of the season. Number one, that top eight going to Europe next year, not top whatever plus Shield. And in the case of a tiebreaker, if two teams finish in the same amount of points, it will come down to games won. So, for instance, Munster on four wins have less than Glasgow, than the Bulls, than Edinburgh and Benetton. So they need to finish on more points than those teams or just equal the same amount of wins. Those things can prove costly. It 
could have been the case last year for Munster had they beaten the Sharks, for instance, I think it was. But that is how it's shaping up so far. Four Irish in the top eight. You can't really ask for too much more. Glasgow and Edinburgh would be very happy with their start so far, having played, I think Glasgow played all four provinces and Edinburgh have played three so far. While the Bulls have played light work of teams at home, 274 points scored in their seven games so far is... It's really quite remarkable. Um, like running expansive rugby at its absolute finest down at Pretoria. And we will start tonight, this afternoon, this morning, whenever you're listening, by talking about the league leaders of Leinster. So for those of you who are watching on YouTube, you can see I've done up a strength of schedule here. So we have, for those on podcast form, we've got looking at seven games that Leinster have played. But beside it all, I've put down where each team that each Irish province has played has finished after the seven rounds. So, for instance, Leinster lost to Glasgow, who are in second place. And by virtue of a, a strength of schedule metric, one that is not algorithm-led or not the most accurate in the world, um, we're just going to try and, and measure out what these kind of starts have been for, for the different teams. For Leinster to go to Glasgow and lose is not too bad. Now, they were quite poor on that day. There's There's no doubt about that, but it's just something to to look at no doubt about it so Leinster round one defeat two Glasgow Warriors things didn't look too well there they really trounced in that game but pick things up six wins on the bounce since at home to the Sharks at home to Edinburgh away at the Dragons followed by home wins over Scarlets and Munster which was in the Aviva Stadium and then Connacht away I feel like as will be the case for for patches of the season you could probably discount the two games against the Welsh sides the Dragons being the Dragons and the Scarlets who rotated quite heavily um, for their trips to the RDS we'll just look at the other five games the the starting game against Glasgow was was a sloppy performance from Leinster just outplayed outfought um, Glasgow have an incredible knack of, of winning cheap penalties of of dragging you into making conceding 10 plus penalties in the game and that proved costly for Leinster but to concede 43 points to be cut open defensively was was a hammer blow not something we're going to see too often into Jack Nina barrier there's no doubt about that but certainly a rough result to start the season they did stay the ship against the Sharks in round 2 as he said 34-13 victors there the Sharks haven't been great but to be honest it was one way traffic for most of that game Likewise, a week later, despite a late Edinburgh comeback, Leinster, again, at the RDS, quite solid home. Edinburgh, on paper, it should be a tough game, but as we've seen in that game, they only really played in trips and drabs, and 36-27 felt, for some people, a bit, you know, a bit light on Edinburgh on the day. Dragons, easy win. Scarlets, easy win. And then the two Interpros that Leinster played. And I do believe Interpros are probably the toughest game you'll play when you're playing teams that are locked and loaded. Now, Connacht probably sacrificed a couple of starters for putting them on the bench and looking to finish strong. Munster were without, you know, three, four, five matchday 23 players for that game. But Leinster doing enough to get the job done. Now, what you do see is, if if you're watching on YouTube, so... 25 points scored against Glasgow. Very open game. 34 against the Sharks. 36 against Edinburgh. 33 
against the Dragons, 54 against the Scarlets, but just 21 and 22 points respectively against Munster and Connacht. A lot of errors started to, to creep in for Leinster. A lot of handling errors. You do wonder if maybe their attention has shifted now that Shaq is in the country, that maybe they've been looking at other things and maybe just things like contact skills or just basic skills have taken hit because realistically there's only a certain amount of hours in the week and if you're going to try and hone in on something you'll probably see another aspect of your game drop off. It could be really as simple as that. I mentioned in the Red Army pod after the Munster game that I felt that Leinster's errors were more blatant. They were forward passes. They were passes not going to hand, knock-ons. But we did see some of that again in the Connor game, which is which is worrying. But I, again, I don't think it'll last too much longer. If it's still there in January, I'd be absolutely shocked, for instance, because fitness isn't an issue, skills isn't an issue, and they're going to be playing teams that they're going to be sweeping aside. Maybe, maybe not in the run to January, but in general, they will. And there's probably the two games I would dig deepest on. <clears throat> Excuse me. Because that Munster game, really gnarly game that I I agree with the likes of Bernard Jackman who said that Munster probably learn, not learn more from it, but be happier with it just because they were without the likes of Peter Mahoney, for instance. Um, but Leinster to you know the the four one on the points table that was about fair. I think it's fair to say. Um, but there was signs of sloppiness in that game that that lingered, especially in the first half against Connacht. Connacht really should have been further in front, and then to slip behind. Obviously, recording this the day after the game, to slip behind the manner they did. We'll get into that later when we talk about Connacht, but some of that is just Leinster's ability to go from second to fourth or second to fifth gear. We've seen that for years. But at the same time, it does feel like Leinster really got out of jail there. Connacht butchering a line-out, or if not two line-outs, um, late on. Their set-piece just kind of melted away defensively. They got sloppy, and, and Kieran Frawley finishes off a brilliant try to win it, but really felt like Connacht let one slip and Leinster pulled one out of the bag and that's good for Leinster because like are you going to learn more from a 54-5 win or a 24-22 away into pro win it's, it's the second one you know and there's the kind of games that we've looked at again looking at it those were markably two of Leinster's harder games to have Munster who are in fourth place Connacht who are in eighth place Connacht away like it's not like playing a mid-table team. It's like playing one of the best teams in the tournament. Um, so I think you could almost mark that down as being a couple of ranks higher. The average place of teams Leinster played so far is ninth. They've played 15th place Sharks, 16th place Dragons, and 13th place Scarlets, um, as well as four of the, of the top eight to kind of swing the balance a little bit. But, you know, I think that Glasgow game to lose away in Glasgow that happens. You want to win all your home games. They've done that. And to sneak in away into Pro Connacht, I think that's something like six or seven in a row now, is a really good result for them. There's there's no doubt about that. Apart to this, we'll we'll look at the fixtures, then we'll look at kind of the, the performers that we've that we've seen stand out, and then we'll look at you know any question marks. And for Leinster, the standout performers, I have them listed here. Jack Boyle, loose head prop, Max Deegan, back row, Jamie Osborne. Utility back, I suppose. 
Ben Murphy and Cormac Foley. I've done this a few times where I've doubled up against that in a minute. Two scrum halves, both are really good, and Kieran Foley. There's one, two, three, four, five, six players there, most of which have played nearly every game. Jack Boyle went from, what did he, two Leinster caps, I think, at the start of the season to playing like four of their first five or five of their first six games. And he's looked really comfortable. He's a he's a very highly thought of prospect. He's abrasive. He he carries really, really well with scrummage as well, as well. And Leinster Scrum, it's not the most technically perfect scrum in the world. It's not the most powerful scrum in the world. But they get by on little, little idiosyncrasies. Look at Andrew Porter. You know, he doesn't scrummage completely square. And he is a big loose head. Well, not massive in, in the world scheme of things, but in Irish context, he's a he's a big loose head. But he has a formula that works. And Leinster are kind of like that. And you've got to respect that. Scrummaging isn't all about just being square and being powerful. And, and that's it. It's more, way more than that. And Boyle will probably be another who... Listen, if he, if he reaches Andrew Porter's levels, he'll be an absolutely amazing prop, um, like Porter is, but looked really good in the first few games. Max Deegan, I think Max Deegan has had a good maybe two seasons or that, but just by virtue of the fact that it's, you know, the Leinster back row where you have Doris, Van der Vleer, Conan, um, then the likes of Ryan Baird and Scott Penny, it's hard to break into it. Deegan has probably fallen into that middle tier of Interna- internationals who they might get the occasional call up when when Ireland are down a few men and he might get a few more caps in years to come but he's going to be a really good provincial man as long as he stays at Leinster and, and played six the other night but that's, I kind of talked about this before I don't think him playing at six is a huge difference um, than when he's at eight Colhane, James Colhane has been at eight a lot and I really should have put him in there and I do apologise He's been very, very good as well. He has looked powerful. He has looked well capable of the level that he's at at URC so far. And he's still only 21 years of age. It's great to see. Jamie Osborne and Kieran Frawley could probably could have bunched those two together. Frawley played a lot of minutes at 15. Osborne mainly at 12 with a start on the wing last night against Connacht. And two lads who'd be looking to get into the Ireland squad um, when the Six Nations comes around, especially you know Osborne looking at maybe a centre or an auxiliary back um, position Kieran Frawley potentially as a 10 um, as if we haven't heard that conversation enough this week only for him to be named a fullback and play well a fullback again it should be said but Osborne is he a 12 is he a winger is he a 13 I'm not really sure he could be a fullback I'm, I'm not really sure but he's competent and he doesn't make a whole lot of mistakes got a huge left boot tackles well runs good lines good player Um if he was to start at 12 this week against La Rochelle, I'd have my concerns because, you know, he's going up against Sean Tendonti, who's probably the second best 12 in world rugby, I think. But Osborne has been has been really good. And Frawley has deputized at fullback really, really well. Probably not his most natural position. We've heard him say he wants to play 10, has played a lot of 12, has been a fullback this season. But Arden's... Ireland's depth of fullback is largely unproven insofar as Ireland haven't given much caps at fullback. Jordan Larmer was the guy, then it was Jacob Stockdale, and it's been Hugo Keaton ever since. With you know Michael Lowry got what two caps and 
Keenan and Jimmy O'Brien has gotten maybe two starts at fullback, and apart from that, it's been pretty much all um, Hugo Keenan. So the likes of Kieran Frawley, Jamie Osborne, you know, Stuart Moore at Ulster, um, Shane Daly at Munster, these guys will, will look to put their hand up, but maybe Farrell will see Frawley as a as a potential backup fifteen, but it's it's hard to know. Um I don't have James Gullahan mentioned, I should I should give him another shout out. Um for those on YouTube in case they forgot. And then Ben Murphy and Cormac Foley. Both scrum halves, you know, Luke McGrath injured. They've had to do probably more heavy lifting than they would have previously, especially with Ross Byrne. I know he only took a knock last week, but he would have been out of action for a while with the Ireland squad. So these lads have had to step up and they've had to mature very, very quickly, and they have done. Top Murphy did well last night against Connacht. Somebody disagreed. Top Foley was very good off the bench and has had a good season. And, you know, with Jameson Gibson Park and Luke McGrath pushing on in age, it's it's no harm for, for Leinster to see scrum halves just kind of just show that they're they're ready for when the time comes, especially when you already have someone like Finton Gunn, you know, being talked about as knocking to, knocking the door down already. There's there's good depth at scrum half for Leinster. Moving on then, we do have a few question marks. Um the first one for me is is Jack Nienabar. Like, will Leinster need time to adjust? Like, is he going to come in and say, well, I want you defending this way and that's what we're going to work on. And then, as I said before, that can sometimes have a knock-on effect. In other parts of your games, if you're if you're focused on one major aspect like defence, or will he just kind of implement it slowly? Ironically, he would he'd probably be looking at implementing a rush defence, which is all about pace. Um, so a, a slow bleed would be you know, mildly ironic, but it's it's certainly a question to see if there's two there's two schools of thought here. If they take their time, you'd wonder can they get to a place that come May and June, longer season this year, of course, will they be in a position where their defense is where Jacques wants it to be? But if they go quicker, they have games like Larachelle, Sale, Munster, Ulster. Um, in January, then they have Leicester and Stade Francais, or the other way around, Stade Francais then Leicester. Not exactly games you want to be completely tweaking and changing for. And like, if you are going to try something in training, like new defensive model, if you're not implementing it in the game week, you're probably going to have some issues as well. So that's for Jacques and for Leo Colin to decide upon. Like Jacques Nienaber's Defence is, is brilliant. There's there's no doubt about that. Defensive guru was brilliant at Munster as well. It was brilliant with South Africa. But will they need time to adjust? You know, is he, like, from what we've kind of not heard, but what we've kind of seen suggested is Nien Aber would be all defence and Goodman would be all um, attack. Whereas before, Leo or Stuart Lancaster kind of shared a bit of the attacking role with, with Andrew Goodman. And then one thing that Stuart Lancaster did very, very well was selection. And and it's not just him, it is Leo Cullen as well. But selection, it was it was a big part of his how he made Leinster into a more consistent team because they could rotate 13, 14 players and look very cohesive. I feel like for a club side, if you're not cohesive, it's probably a sign of just too much chopping and changing more than Anthony. 
And I think for Leinster last night, like some of those combinations hadn't played together, for instance, like say a Henshaw Natai, you know. Um so that's kind of not on them, but you you have to find find a balance, you know, your club side. Leinster's number one team if for what they'll probably play next week, line out next week, is cohesive because they play together more often than not. But behind that then are they chopped and changing a bit too often? Is there as well a chance for the likes of maybe a Charlie Natai, a Kieran Frawley, a Jamie Osborne, even a James Culhane, or I suppose you'd probably have to say Joe McCarthy is on the outside looking in. Is there a chance for those lads to bolt into the first 23? Probably something we haven't seen a lot of from Leinster in the last two years, especially when they didn't use all their subs in, in the last two European finals. But as well as that, you are bringing back the Irish stars. And the reality is, because Ireland went so heavy on their category A tier one team, whatever you want to call it, those ads have, have amassed a lot of minutes. Hugo Keenan, James Ryan, Gary Ringrose, um, Andrew Porter, especially at, at prop, Josh van der Fleer, Caelan Doris, they have put up an awful lot of minutes so far so heading into the winter months how will we see those minutes managed do they get Christmas off for instance but if they take Christmas off they have to play Munster um, away and Ulster at at home I believe it is they've obviously got their four European games there's always a chance of injuries post you know the season after a World Cup there's always that because of, of high minutes played and nearly points of the season so that's something they're going to have to look at. I think they can chop and change to a certain degree, but when they go 13, 14 changes, that's when you would have more question marks about them. Um, so for that Munster and Ulster in particular, I think if you had the likes of, I think maybe a, a Robbie Henshaw plays one of those games, Gary Ringos plays one of those games, um, or maybe they play the same game, maybe they play different games, I don't know and so on and so forth like even I would be in favour of maybe just giving Andrew Porter the those two three weeks off because he's playing a prop and he's going 70 plus minutes for Ireland when he's been there he'll go 70 plus minutes for Leinster it, it might be no harm just to give him the time off tight for long maybe the same Um, James Ryan obviously had that knock so probably not in the same boat Van der Fleer Doris possibly as well um, so big questions to be asked and what goes alongside that when you talk about the Ireland part you talk about the selection part is life after Johnny Sexton and, and life after Stuart Lancaster where do Leinster go from here you know they've two co-captains this year which is probably the right decision in some ways insofar as Johnny Sexton is a huge personality a huge leader you can't just replace that overnight at the same time am I a big fan of um Co-captains, not really. I think if you've got a leadership group there, whoever's named as captain, it doesn't really make a huge difference. But certainly their leadership group needs to step up now. Um, I think you could you could raise questions about the NIQs as leaders, um, Natai Jenkins and Michael Alalatoa. Even if someone like Alalatoa is a Samoan captain, that doesn't mean he's a big voice in the Leinster dressing room because every dressing room needs different types of leaders. And Alalatoa strikes me as someone who might be of the the consummate professional of a Pacific Island player. 
maybe not the most vocal, maybe not the most um, hard-nosed of of leaders. That's probably something they'll, they'll look at. Um, if they were, if it's believed they were sniffing around it at Jorge Sneeman and John Klein in recent years, they would have fit that mold um, in terms of their leadership presence. But listen, it's up to James Ryan, Gary Ringrose, Ty Furlong. Andrew Porter, Kaelin Doris, Josh van der Fleer, these guys just to step up. They've had lots of minutes at international level. They've had lots of minutes at um at Leinster level. Step up and be leaders, hopefully. And like realistically, at least one of those should be um of a standard of being a good provincial captain. You know, it's not when you get into the business part of the year, yes, it's it's a very um tough gig, but this part of the season, there's no reason why those lads can't step up. And I think they will. And obviously after Stuart Lancaster, you're replacing a, a big leadership presence um, off the field coaching-wise. But I think they'll, they'll be fine. They're bringing in Jacques Nienaber, who mightn't be the most... How do I put it? He mightn't be the most vocal of of coaches, but he, he knows what he wants and he gets what he wants. And that's that's good to see. We will move on next to the reigning URC champions and Munster. So Munster started this season, I think they're in a happy enough spot. They're in fourth place. They've kind of um apologies. <laughs> I I got a message there on my phone that kind of got me thinking. No, you got a um I think you got a good start out of Munster. Definitely a lot of ups and downs, a draw and two losses, but they've had a tough run. Like I know the Stormers are listed there as being in tenth place, which they are. But like, I don't know if Munster, at least not until May, will they go on a run where they play as tough of games as Ulster and Ravenhill, the Stormers, Leinster and Eviva, and Glasgow. Now Glasgow may not have been great on Friday night, but that's really tough. So we'll start round one. They swept aside the Sharks. Bonus point victory there. Round two, they went to Benetton and snuck a late draw. Round three, took them to Cork. They swatted aside the Dragons. Then, as I mentioned, round four up in Ravenhill. 21-14 loss there. They beat the Stormers 10-3 in Thorman Park in round five. Round six was that 21-16 defeat to Leinster and Aviva. And a bonus point win over Glasgow and Musgrave Park on Friday night. 40 points to 29. Probably what's most impressive there is the Munster have taken something from every game. They got a try bonus point of the Sharks. They managed to sneak a draw against Benetton when it looked like they might even get a losing bonus point for parts of that game. Try bonus point win over the Dragons, as you'd expect. They got a losing bonus point from Ulster. Really should have got more, but that's for another day's conversation. They got the win over the Stormers. They got a losing bonus point from Leinster away. And they got... A try bonus point from beating the Glas- beating Glasgow. So like their three home games, sorry, three of their four home games, they've taken a try bonus point victory. Um, I think that's a, a really good run. The Sharks have been poor again. The Dragons have been poor and are poor side. But a draw against Benetton is no mean result. I think they'll, I think Benetton will beat um at least one big team there this year. At least one or two more big teams there this year. They're very good at home. Ulster away. I know they just lost to Edinburgh, so it it seems like numb words. But in terms of 
your differentials to take a losing bonus point from Ulster is good and that is enough. Take a losing bonus point from Leinster away is gaining a point on, on the chasing pack. And as, as well with beating Glasgow again, the bonus point there is, is, chase, is taking one. Now, the only thing I would say there is we give Glasgow a, losing, a try bonus point. All mall tries just simply not good enough, but that'll that'll have to be worked on. We'll touch on that a little bit later. The average position of the eight, seven teams once they've played is eighth place. That is probably skewed by the Stormers. You're probably looking at a bit better um, if the Stormers were off to a faster start. And yeah, I think if you're if you're looking at that, if you're in fourth place after seven games where you've basically played top eight sides, that's good. That's a good start. And especially when, you know, they got Peter Mahoney back, he's off after 40 minutes, got Sean Klain back very late. Arky Snayman has been playing. Joey Carberry got injured. Andrew Conway retired. Um, they got a new centre partnership in Nankavell and Frisch. They've basically had no wingers left because Mike Ailey, Patrick Hamill and Liam Gooms are all injured. So Shane McCarthy's had to step up and Sean O'Brien as well. But really happy so far with those first seven games. Just things to work on, but we will get into that. Firstly, standout performers, and the very first name is probably the one that everyone wants me to talk about, and the second name is probably the other person everyone wants to talk about, Edwin Adogbo and Thomas Ahern. These guys look like they will be Munster's second rows for the next foreseeable future. Maybe not straight away with Ty Brown and Jean-Claude still in the side, but... Boy, they look good. And even at that, let's not forget Tom Sarn has played his last two games at number six. And it's looked brilliant. And I'll get into that in a minute. So a dog bow, like in terms of raw power, I touched on this. I was on the Harp and Rugby Pod before the Leinster game and I was asked kind of about him. A dog bow is remarkably more than what you see on the tin. He looks like a big Brutish second row. Well, he's more than that. He has got really soft hands. His rook work is is really really good. Um, had some huge rook involvements in games. He carries abrasive. He carries smartly. That's something I really like. Like I, I and George Lark's a player. I come back to it because he was so good at a young age. But one thing when he was kind of um coming off the the steep incline uh, of form. Um, a criticism I heard Rog, I think it was, say was, you know, he carries at men, and this is it's like it's the biggest fault of of the the best and strongest players. They carry at men. He's like, sometimes you just need to remind them. Yeah, it's great to win a collision, but if you run like to the space between two lads, get your hands free. You're you're getting over the gain line. You're creating opportunities, and it's it's just a mindset thing. Edwin Adogbo has that. Like we've seen it in multiple games so far where he is carried right down the scene between two defenders, got his hands free, released an offload, or even if not, he's making good yardage. And with that power, with that line-out ability, which is good, it's not it's not fantastic. He's not a, a line-out specialist, but it is good. Um, he's, he just has a bit of everything. I would certainly be considering having him in the Ireland squad um, come February as a developmental player as maybe an 18 player would certainly be interested in having their thereabouts. And it's not about who you drop. It's about getting a lad like that who has um, 
and this is the term that's been used for Joe McCarthy, but I think it's more true for Dogbo. He's got what we don't usually produce in Ireland in terms of an incredible size and almost an aura around it. Like he's a 20-year-old who the Stormers tried to target um, whenever he got his hands on the ball. Like that doesn't happen too often, especially at second row. And the man beside him is is the guy that we all expected to be coming through. Um, Thomas Hearn. Did we expect to see him as a six? It's something I actually thought about last year was, you know, could we see him maybe move to six and kind of a tight burn role because he's not the biggest. And we slimmed out, or not slimmed out. He's bulked up quite a lot in, in over the preseason. Boy, does he look good. One thing I've loved is his lineup work is, is fantastic. Now, again, people could roll their eyes and say that Munster's Mall was so poor on Friday night. You can't be praising it. But Ahern, his ball handling skills are just phenomenal. Um, he's got great pace. He's he brilliant through contact again. The, how did he stand out at six? I think it's more got to do with his explosiveness, um, especially when he holds that wide out position in attack. Like we've seen, I don't know who it was. I think it was Josh McKay. He may have bounced off for a second try. Just shrugged him to one side. Yes, I know it's a second row against a winger, but Ahern is getting so much power now. He's getting up to speed. Again, I would be considering having him in the Ireland squad for those very reasons. I think he just has that... That's something that we don't really produce. Like if if you're looking at kind of lock flank hybrid players we have Tyke Byrne most obvious we have Ryan Baird and we and that's all that's in the Ireland squad really and then you got the likes of Ahern Ahern is probably more physically powerful than than Baird maybe not as agile but more physically powerful um, Baird has not been tasked with calling line outs really for Leinster Ahern has done that's not a slide on Baird it's just something that you could look at Ahern is probably better in the air Baird is, is further along in his in his development, no doubt about it, but I don't think there's any harm in having both of them in an Ireland squad. Maybe Ahern gets in over Baird, maybe Baird gets in over Ahern um, for match day squads, but like we're in year one of a cycle, if if you want to talk about cycles, and it's an Ireland squad who like we're pretty set as a team, so it's not all about giving minutes, but if you brought Ahern in um, I, I, <laughs> selfishly, I'd, I'd only bring him in maybe for a week or two, because Munster played the Crusaders the first week of the Six Nations, and this may hinder the selection of the likes of Adolfo and Ahern. The fact that Munster played the Crusaders, and then they play the they play Hardicons as well in um kind of Six Nations period friendlies. Gonna need to find a name for that. Um, spring spring friendlies, we'll call them. So that could hinder him, but I'd love to see him there, thereabouts. I think he could learn a lot as well. I mean, he has the likes of John Clayne, Jorge Sneeman and Tyg Byrne to pick the brains up every week and Peter O'Mahony if he becomes a back row option. So I think I think he's well said at Munster, but new environment never did anyone any harm. That's certainly the case for Jack Crowley, who looked like a talent at Munster. Always, always looked like a talent. Then he goes off to the Emerging Ireland tour. He goes out, He gets into an Ireland squad and he never looks back. And the word I use, and if you listen to me on this podcast, talk about Jack Crowley and Ireland and Munster, 
it's the it's the Paul McGinley line of the pointy elbows. He just wants to push everyone out of his way to get to the top. He is. I didn't see too much of Jack at ten last season. Just the games I got to versus the games he played at ten. But the Stormers game for me was fantastic. He was very good um, Friday night against against Glasgow. But the Stormers game, where nothing is really going right, Munster is still trying to stay on schemes, stick to the script. But he showed a robustness because he was getting battered by the Stormers. But he also showed a confidence, like to to be dropping back into the backfield and trying this wonderful variation of kicks, be it these kind of um uh, back or front spinning um, kicks in behind or be it 50-22 attempts or he's just you know kicking dead ducks into the air on a wet night and hoping they come down nicely which they did once or twice and caused knock-ons he's just done he'd had everything that night and his game management was a trope that was thrown out by one or two of the pundits um, during the World Cup but he certainly has that and it helps as well that he's got a, a esteemed signing that Munster brought in in Alex Nankovell at 12. He has been brilliant for Munster. There's no doubt about it. He has, I think he has been really, really good. It's, how do I, I'm trying to put the right words into it, to be honest, but he's brought a power, he's brought an abrasiveness and he's brought a willingness to adapt a willingness to learn a willingness to just get stuck in like the fact that he played straight away when he came down which wasn't expected some of that is is due to injuries and and the likes but looked really really good straight away and his partnership with Anton Frisch who I also have mentioned here I think it's it's so it's just taken off quicker than Frisch and Fekitoa did but it's just really taken off they complement each other nicely Nankovell more powerful Frisch just times his runs really well, times his defensive reads very well. And I, I like both of them as as a centre pairing. I've also included two back three players as kind of the the standouts, I think you can say. And that is Shane Daly and Calvin Nash. Daly has been asked to go back to fullback. I, I think he's a very good fullback. I think he's be more suited to the wing when he's at Munster. But again, really, really good at fullback. Defensively solid, brilliant kicking game. Chooses his lines of running really, really nicely. Um, I couldn't really say much more about him after skipping ahead there, sorry. Um, Calvin Nash again, like just reminds me of, a, of an Andrew Conway type. He refuses to die in contact, picks great running lines, runs with great venom and power. And defensively, uh, as strong as you'll see, very impressive. Maybe not, you know, impactful in every game, but has had moments of of brilliance in, in them as well. Where's the question marks then? I think you're looking at set piece. Like, is it, are these frailties that we're seeing at at scrum and at mall, um, and even at lineout? The scrum, some of that is power. Some of that is just likes of Stephen Archer is pushing on an age and he's he's just hanging on in there after a brilliant season last year but we're not conceding a whole lot of penalties um we're not winning a whole lot is probably a bigger issue 
the line out overcomplicated at times, throwing has been awry, you know, timings have been off. They've they've kind of the more simplistic we've gone at line out time, the more successful our line out has been. We've almost overcomplicated it for ourselves, never mind the opposition. And then the mall just simply was not good enough last week. Um, there's no denying that. Having someone like Tyburn in the team when the mall goes that badly and he's a good mall defender is it's it's a strange one. You hope it's just a blip, as I said. Um I have to take a drink. A lot of talking. Number ten then is uh, there's a dependency on Jack Curley now with with Joey Carberry out injured. Anthony I've heard from Munster was that Tony Butler that they, they were not going to make him play twenty games this season. Just was not on the radar. It's something that other provinces would laugh at, but he's year two in the academy. His physical development, we don't know where he's at, you know. And because of that, we're probably going to ask Jack Crowley to get through big, big minutes. Um, and it's definitely a, a question mark. Um, can he can he go the distance every week? Maybe not every week. He won't play the two. He won't play both um, Christmas Interpros, probably play against Leinster and, and sit out the Connacht game. But, yeah, definitely, definitely um, a lack of of obvious depth with Joey Carberry out injured and, and Ben Healy have been moved on. And finally, power deficiency. Like, is it something that's going to prove costly for Munster? We've said it before. When you take Sean Plain out of the team, when you take um, maybe Tyke Byrne out of the team, one of their, you know, if you take maybe Kilcoyne, for instance, it's not the most powerful side. We don't have elite powerful front rowers. Maybe yeah, Oli Jagger could be that. We'll wait and see. Time will tell. We have probably two elite powerful second rows, one of which is in a long-term injury. Tyburn punches above his weight, no doubt. And our back rows are not the most powerful men in the world. Berg, say Gavin Coombs. So it could be something that proves costly again. Um, depends on who Munster play in Europe. Depends on who Munster, what kind of game they get drawn into against Leinster. I did think it was costly because it, there was times where they just started losing collisions and started going backwards. Even if they were threatening on the first few phases, it was power that caught up with them. It wasn't the attacking shape. It wasn't um, anything like that. I think it was just power, just one v one. If you're going backwards, you're going backwards. You know. Next up, it is Connacht, who were the third-ranked Irish side so far. In No, Connacht are the fourth-ranked Irish side so far. Apologies. But we'll touch on them next. Um, so there is Connacht's run of games. They started with three straight home games, but not three easy home games. The Ospreys, 34-26 win there. Glasgow, 34-26 win again. Not something you see too often. And Ulster, 22-20 win um, in that one. But like you look at their easy games like they've had Glasgow at home. Glasgow weren't great on the day. Glasgow were in second place. They had Ulster who were in seventh. They had Edinburgh who were in fifth. They had to go away to them. They had to go away to the Bulls in Pretoria. I got trounced, but that's going to happen to a lot of good teams this year Um, who were in third. And they had Leinster at home. Yes, it was rotated Leinster, but Leinster are top of the table um, for a reason. In terms of which games I'd look at, I I thought the Ospreys win was very impressive because their attack just straight out the gate looked really, really good that day. 
defensively a bit eerie. Same thing again for the Glasgow game. The Ulster game, they kind of tied it up a small bit. Big second half to win that. Edinburgh game, I thought that was one they probably let slip, but it's then they come back. They beat the Sharks away from home. You think it's okay. The Bulls game, kind of expected them to lose that, but the Leinster game to lose in the fashion they did, to lose to a last second try is rough. It's a body blow to Connacht. And even like they've got a short week before they play Bordeaux in Europe. That is a big ask. If Bordeaux come locked and loaded with Damien Penault and Matthew Jalibert and um, Maxime Lusou and Yoram Mofana and Biel Biare, like that backline, they could easily rack, in, rack up four tries against Connacht. That's a huge concern. Huge concern for me. Um, I think if Connacht keep it tight and maybe they get the conditions right, they could be fine, but it's going to be a big ask in that one. Average rank of, of teams they've played is sixth, which I think, you know, they've had Glasgow, Ulster, Edinburgh, Bulls, Leinster. Yeah, very, very, very tough games. Have they had their tougher games at home? They have, because they've had Glasgow, Ulster, and Leinster all at home, but two wins out of three there isn't too bad. You don't want to lose your home games, but losing a home game to Leinster isn't going to cost you dearly, especially when you're going to the Sharks. If you're taking a win in South Africa, losing to Leinster at home doesn't look too bad, um, especially when they're in close succession to each other. Their standouts, I think most of these really pick themselves. Carl Ford is the main one that I want to put front and centre because he's been absolutely fantastic. He's going to put pressure on the coaches um, when the time comes because when Bundy Aki gets back, Bundy hits his World Cup form. You can't leave him out. But where do you put Carl Ford? Um, do you look at him as a 13? Probably not. I think he's very good 12. His... I thought he played well against Leinster. I thought his, his handling in the lead up to the Keaton Blade try was fantastic. You know, he was stumbling and stumbling and hits the pass. And then, you know, he, he hits the ground with a tackle to boot. And I just think he's he's such a competent 12. Another guy I'd like to see in the Ireland squad. Not 100% sure we will see it. Um, Joe Joyce is next. I mean, for a big second row. A bit of a journeyman second round. He was signed from Bristol. He probably didn't have that high of expectations, but he is he's looked really abrasive um early doors for them. Been very happy with him. Keelan Blade and JJ Hanron, probably their first choice halfback pairing as things stand. Blade for me has been I think both players have been a bit of a roller coaster. When it's gone right for both of them, they've looked absolutely fantastic. No doubting that. But there has been a lot of errors. And for Connacht, when you're playing fast and loose, there has to be an acceptance that you will make probably an above average amount of errors because of the way that they play um, in terms of handling errors and just basic, you know, passes not, you know, pass not going to hand, knock-ons, um, forcing the initiative a bit too much and, and running into danger. But it can just be a bit too frantic at times. We've seen that last night. Just needs a little bit more composure from time to time and to not be as wasteful with the ball um, every time. It's a, it's probably the only slide I have, but you, I, I'd be happier to see that they're they're dying by the sword that they're living with, but a concern nonetheless. Um, Brian Ralston then has played 
I think he started all seven games between the wing and centres. Looked really, really good. And Jeremy Kilgallen, very good power winger who scores more than his fair share of tries. Been happy with him. Both, both of them been, have, have looked sharp to start the season. They've Matt Hansen back. Um, so at least one of those. Well, they could both start with Ralston at 13 on Friday night. But you could see one of them um, losing a couple of minutes. There with Mac back. Question marks then. And I've already start, started the first one. Just give me a second to take a drink. First one is the 10-12 conundrum. It's Jack versus JJ. It's Carl Ford versus Bundy. Jack Gardy is their captain. And he is well suited to what Connors are trying to do. But JJ is, is, is the form choice at the moment. I think they could go horses for courses there. All four against Bundy when the time comes is going to be a really interesting one. There's a good chance we don't see Bundy in many Connacht games this side of Six Nations anyway. Um, so that the can could be kicked down the road for them. But I do wonder which way they're going to go there. Back row balance, again, that's something we've talked about with Connacht before. They, they went with Janssen at eight last night with Prendergast and Harley Langton on the flanks. I think their best back row is... Connor is Seamus Hurley Langton, Connor Oliver, and Keen Prendergast. But with Janssen, definitely brings them a bit of power. Sean O'Brien, the same, the, the new signing from Leinster. It's hard to know um, because power is a thing for Connor that is a slight issue. They don't have the they don't have eight of the biggest forwards in the league, no doubt about that. But the balance has looked off at times when they've kind of skewed, I think. Actually, when Connor Oliver doesn't play the bat, is when the balance looks worse. I don't know why that is. There's probably people better vested to to explain that, but certainly something I'd like to see them just hone in and know what their starting back row is, or at least have something that you can kind of go well. When they're playing a more powerful team, they'll go with this, or when they're playing a most other teams, they go with this at least. Um, away form. Their waveform isn't bad, don't get me wrong, it's not bad. They won the Sharks, but they've had great home comforts this year. That was their first loss at home this calendar year, the one to Leinster, which is great. But that does mean you need to be capitalising on some away games, which they haven't done in recent seasons at times. You know, like We've seen them slip up, be it in Wales or in Italy against Benetton or in Scotland. So certainly need to double down there. They've already lost Edinburgh on the road. The Bulls game you you'd give them a you'd give them a pass for. I'm just trying to look back. And then the Sharks obviously they, they won, but you, know, you want to see Connacht probably winning their two away games in Wales, um, for instance, just to kind of consolidate what they've already done at home. Finally. It's time to look at Ulster. And this is, oh boy, is there a lot to talk about here. <laughs> First and foremost, they are in seventh place after seven games. Their strength of schedule average is six. So they've certainly had a tough start to the season, but started with Zebra, got out of jail there away from home. No, there's no doubts there. Beat the Bulls at home. That's always a good win. Um, They lost to Connacht in the sports ground. No. Armand that beat Munster at home, beat the Lions at home in a stop start performance. 
then to lose their last two games. We'll get into this a bit later on. To lose Glasgow away and lose to Edinburgh at home. The Glasgow away game you wouldn't mind, but they just they only played about fifteen minutes worth of rugby, um, which is not good. And the Edinburgh game, they got two points out of that game, but God, it wasn't great. <laughs> um it, re- it really wasn't great from from an Ulster perspective. Like Edinburgh were just the better team. And Edinburgh are not a team who travels very well. I think that's their first win in Ireland since 2019 or something like that. I think that was, um, I think that could have been during the World Cup if if memory serves. Like Ulster's toughest games of Bulls, they've had them at home, bet them. Munster, they had them at home, bet them. Glasgow, they had them away, lost. Edinburgh, they had at home, they lost you don't like to see and then the Connacht game away from home you wouldn't mind that like I mean yes Connacht are in eighth place maybe they should have won but they did essentially throw that game in some way sorry they didn't throw a game that's the wrong words entirely don't quote me on that they targeted the Munster game the week after because it was in Ravenhill and it was the one they needed to win they did but they'll feel like they let one slip I think they'll feel like they let two games slip there the Connacht game because they were in the lead and the Edinburgh game because they just didn't really show up for large passages. For that to happen two weeks in a row is worrying because as we'll get to in a minute, Ulster had a tendency last year as well where things are going swimmingly. They have two poor performances back-to-back or three poor performances back-to-back-to-back and then the wheels kind of fall off for a while and they kind of have to rebuild while it's still moving and the the URC does not allow for... Uh, finding your feet in the middle of the season unless you've got games like say a zebra or the lions at home or a welsh side at home they still have to play all four welsh sides for instance but two two losses from two against the two scottish is not ideal um it's definitely not ideal for them standout performance i only have four probably could have got five or six to be fair but four stood out for me jacob stockdale started the season brilliantly five tries in his first four games of the season he just bounced right back into the swing of things. Um, there's always going to be question marks about his his ball handling and his defence. But, I mean, if Jacob gets back to his his attacking output that we know he can get to, then he's surely in with a shout with Ireland. But the only thing is, the Ulster attack has looked meh. It's it's shown glimpses of looking sharp, but has also shown passages of looking a bit blunt. Dave Ewers is the bludgeon option signing, but he's looked he's looked impressive for a man who's played probably over three hundred games already in his career. He he doesn't look like slowing down just yet, and it's looked good. Jake Flannery finally got a couple of games at ten. Now, unfortunately, he got injured in the warm up against Glasgow and and looks set to be out for a couple of weeks. But he got the keys to the car. And he has driven it really smoothly. Um, will Ulster back him when he comes back? I wouldn't hold out too much hope, to be honest. Um, a, a lot of question marks hang over that, but I think he's. I think he, he could be a difference maker. We don't know for certain. I'm not saying he is, but he could be in a way that Billy Burns probably isn't, but you know what you're getting from him. It's... Do you go safe or not? And James McNabney, big fan of him at Ireland under 20 level. I think he's a very complete player. Dave McCann is the guy I should have put in there. The fact that he's injured probably made, made me forget, but 
Dave McCann and James McNabney. Powerful, high workload, um, young, but look very assured at this level. McCann finally getting a proper run of games before the injury and McNabney in his first season. Both look really, really impressive. And I think there's a good chance McNabney and, and um, McCann are there six and eight in, in years to come, to be honest. Finally, before we wrap things up, we have question marks about Ulster. Firstly, well, two, two of these are, are kind of um, intangible. Well, they're all intangibles in some regard. Leadership pressure. I, I do have a feeling that they're still reliant on Ian Henderson and Rob Herring in terms of leaders on the pitch. It is a young squad, so you're going to have that from time to time. But I feel like you can tell the difference when Henderson and Herring are on the pitch. Brilliant leaders. Like they could be international captains. I recognize that. But you can always tell when they're there. That Munster game was a good example. Those two came off the bench and they helped drag Ulster over the line. Tom Stewart is still young, for instance. Um, Kieran Treadwell, probably not the, the biggest leader in the group. Back row, I'm not sure they have an obvious candidate. Half back, I'm not sure they have an obvious candidate. Stuart McCluskey leads by doing. He's not the most vocal person in the world. He'll say that himself. So definitely, it's something I'd like to see looked at. Um, is leaders because you can never have too many. You can never have too well. You can. You could have all forty players in your leadership group, but that would just be silly. Um, but you can never have too many. Um, realistically. Then the next one, I've just said stale game. I think it's the the comments from Dan McFarlane last night. I think are are egregious. I don't think you can you can really um comprehend what the thought process behind it was. The like I said here, his words and his tactics look to run its course. The the line I used last night was, I think the hairdryer has just ran out of power. He's done this a few times where he's tried to tell the players, listen, the standards aren't good enough. You're not doing well enough. You know, I want you to do better. And that's well and good and it'll work a few times. But it has its limit. It eventually reaches a crescendo. And a a line that I've used before that I've heard about Dan is, well, Ulster aren't going to sack him. But, you know, the fact that they they were kind of supposedly let him talk to Leicester about that gig last year make you think that. I think if he if he left, they wouldn't mind. But he still has another season and a half left in his contract. That doesn't expire until the end of the 2024-2025 season. Oh, there's, there's questions to be asked. And even his assistant coaches, like, they're not free from blame either. Like I think they're... But they play a style of game that is not suited to them, to be honest. They have some powerful forwards. Like, they've signed Kitschoff. Tom O'Toole is, is a powerful um, ball-carrying prop, Ian Henderson, Kieran Treadwell, but both of them very rarely start in the same game. Dave Ewers, who they've signed. I just think they're going for this brash, this powerful game when, like, get McCluskey on tip-on passes to Stuart Moore and Jacob Stockton running off his shoulder, get Balakun off the wing as well. Like, show something in attack that isn't the same old story. Like we've seen in that Munster game for the Stockdale try of the cross kick. They ran them left and right. They opened up the space. Burns put on a cross field kick. That's how they should be playing week in, week out. Not just going to the bludgeon every time. And it's, I think it's it's just run its course at this stage for Ulster. We're waiting to see, but 
I haven't seen anything that says they're going to evolve um, to a significant level this year to change how last season ended, which was, again, a bit of a stale um, end to the season. And the costly slip-ups also cost them last year. Like, yes, they did finish in second place, but like last year they had games, they went on a run either side of Christmas where everything just starts crumbling and it just starts falling down very quickly. And it was a major dip. And I think the last two games could lead to the same thing. Now, I think they'll probably just get past Bath just about um, this weekend. It won't be an easy task at all. Bath away from home um, at the wrecker or a tough beat, especially this season with Johan van Graan and, and with Finn and, and the likes. But I think they need, they can't afford another slide. Like they're already in seventh place which is worse off than they were this time last year. Um, and they will have tough, tough games like going to South Africa. They have to go to Thorne Park. They have to go to the RDS. Um, they'll have tougher games to come. They really can't afford to, to regress. And that is all we have time for. That's the four provinces covered. Ran on a bit long. Apologies for that. But... Four Irish provinces and block one finished, surmised, looked at. Whatever you want to, whatever way you want to frame it, I'm happy with the provinces. Yes, there's questions to be asked, and there's room for improvement. There always is, but four Irish sides in the top eight after the first block of fixtures, and all of whom had some level of of tough games, it's is pretty decent. Thanks to everyone on YouTube for watching, for everyone on podcast form. For tuning in, if you are in podcast form, Kalon S Rugby podcast on YouTube. Um, if you want to just catch some of the graphics I threw up there, like the scratch the schedule or the talking points. And if you're on YouTube, I'll, again, I'll have these all linked, but Kalon S Rugby podcast, wherever you get your podcast. As I said, we will be back this week with two EPCR Investec Champions Cup related podcasts. One panel discussion looking at the 10, as we head into the 10th season of the EPCR era, and ask whether it has been a failed experiment. Really looking forward to that one. Really esteemed panel. I think you will enjoy it. And then a solo pod to preview the Champions Cup with, as always, an extra eye on the Irish provinces. So thank you very, very much for watching and for listening. I'll have all my links down below. I'm on Blue Sky now at Kaelon S Rugby. I'm on Instagram at Kaelon S Rugby for more of the news and to get notified when the podcasts and maybe a few articles hopefully if I get time um, the far side of Christmas when they go up so Blue Sky Instagram Twitter as always Kaelon S Rugby Podcast wherever you get your podcast and on YouTube thank you so so much for tuning in for me until next, until next time take it easy Sports Social Podcast Network With Lucky Landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere Dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom Sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time No Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry In that case I pronounce you lucky Play for free at luckylandslots.com Daily bonuses are waiting No purchase necessary void were prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply See website for details